peas, and it just like feels like Easter Sunday up in here today. And uh, you guys have the energy and uh, just really the enthusiasm today as we think about the reality of the words that we just sung, this idea of an empty tomb, right? I mean, that is reason enough for us to really celebrate as if it's Easter every single Sunday. So uh, thanks for coming and worshiping with us today, and uh, we're going to dive into the scripture here just a little bit together. Uh, I actually haven't been up here for a few weeks. Uh, I was up in Middletown for a week, and then my family went out to Michigan on vacation, and so it's good to be back up here. But uh, we had a good time together up in Michigan. If you've never been up to Michigan, I recommend it. It's, uh, it's beautiful up there. It's a little cooler than like the sweltering heat of the south. And uh, you go up to, like, Lake Michigan, I'm telling you what, like, you look out over Lake Michigan, and it's like you're in the Caribbean. I mean, the water is, if you've been, you know what I'm talking about, the water is just, like, crystal clear. Now, when you get into the water, it doesn't feel much like the Caribbean. It's, it's, it's like, really, really cold. But, uh, you know, once your body goes numb, it's practically like being in the Caribbean, and uh, it's a good time. Uh, so we spent some time one day out on the beach, and uh, there were some people when we were out there on the beach, like stand-up paddleboarding. Anybody seen this like stand-up paddleboarding thing? So you're basically on this giant surfboard, and you have this paddle, and you just, you know, it just looks really, really fun. And so I was watching people out there, and I was like, Jess, we should do that, babe. Like, I'll get some stand-up paddleboards. It'll be just like these guys out there, sweet little couple, just out on the water. Like, it'll be amazing. And she's like, okay, yeah, do it. And so I called up the, the, the place. They brought the boards down. And they didn't give me any tutorial or whatever, but it's fine because I, I figured it's probably pretty easy. Like, it's pretty straightforward. You just do it. They're done. You stand on the board and you paddle the little thing. It's all good. And so this was my perception of it. Now, however, it, it was not the reality. At least for me, Jess did a really, really good job. But I, I, you know, it's interesting because when I ordered the stand-up paddle boards, Lake Michigan was just like glass. It was like this. And all of a sudden, some like tropical storm rolled in or something. I have no idea, but it's just at least like it felt like it once I get out there. And, you know, I'm a very determined individual. And so I was like watching. There's certain people out like on their knees doing the paddleboard, and there's other people standing. And I'm like, I'm going right for standing. Like, skip this knee stuff. Like, I'm going to get right up on the board and just start paddling. And so, uh, much to my dismay, my first attempt at this did not go very well. And so I pushed myself up on the board, I jumped onto my feet. And that thing's wobblier than anything else. Like, I'm, I'm like this way, then I'm this way, then I'm back this way. And every time, you know how you're like off balance, it just gets worse and worse. You can't d- dig yourself out of it. And then it would just be like splash into the water. Now, Jess was so gracious because she's just up there like, it's so easy for her. Like, it's, she's got a better stature for the board. That's all right. I was arguing that. I was also like, you know what, you're, you got the better board, I think. And uh but I don't think that was actually the reality because I kept over and over again, I would jump, because you know me, I'm determined. And so over and over again, I'd jump back up on that board. I would, with max effort, right, try to stand and balance myself. Now, the thing about balancing is the harder that you try, the harder that you fall. And I did over and over again. And let's just say, this is what Jess found most funny. She said, you don't fall softly into the water. Like, you just, you don't. It was like a giant fish was just crashing into the water over and over again. And uh, there were some other people that had some boards, and they started paddling out as I was out there just, you know, over and over again, splashing into the water. And I was like, finally, I kind of just gave up, and I was like on my knees doing it for a little while. And they came out, and I said, you know, it's not as easy as it looks. And uh, I was like, I've fallen a few times. And they're like, oh, we know. We've seen. And uh, I look over, and it's like as if the entire beach is just sitting there watching me, like, kaboom, over and over again, as if they could ignore it with the loud splashes over and over again. So it became quite the public spectacle. I did get better as time went on, but uh, it was just, for me, stand-up paddleboarding was a lot like 
uh, just falling repeatedly. And so I'm, I might give it a shot some more. We'll see. But I use that illustration to really think to and really kind of reflect upon my own life. And uh, I can say that so many seasons of my life have felt a lot like that. And maybe you can say there's a lot of seasons. Maybe it's the current season that you're in right now that have felt a lot like a lot of effort, but repeated just falling over and over again. And you find yourself, the harder that you try, the more that you just end up flat on your back over and over again. And for some of us, maybe it was a private thing that we dealt with, a private sin or a private struggle that we find ourselves just continuing to struggle with over and over and over again. Or maybe for some of you, it is a very public spectacle. It's become kind of a public um, scene. And we've seen those stories plenty of times, right? And uh, now with kind of the way the media is, it's easier to see these very public instances where uh, people's sin and struggle comes to the forefront of the headlines. And so we're very familiar with this feeling and this notion of falling and uh, falling short. And the Bible talks about it, and it talks about how we have all sinned and fall short. So there really is a level playing field. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the bottom line is that we all fall. And I think it's interesting that we just sung here just a little bit, and David talked so concisely about this concept. Honestly, like I could probably just say what he said and just walk off the stage today because I feel like he so beautifully captured the gospel and really the idea of overcoming guilt. And as he talked about it, it really becomes like this weight, doesn't it? I mean, those that have experienced it or those that are currently experiencing it can understand why it's used, the word weight is used to describe when you're dealing with guilt and shame. In fact, in 2013, there was a Princeton University study that was done, and they released this study proving that people who feel guilty actually have a physical sensation of being heavier than they actually are. It's really interesting. Participants were divided into two different groups and told to recall either ethical or unethical memories. And then in a separate study, they were asked to rate their perceived body weight. People who recalled unethical memories reported a higher perception of their own body weight. And so intrigued by this, researchers took it a step further. They asked participants to rank how much effort it would take to perform various helpful tasks. So some of the tasks were non-physical, such as lending money to a friend, um, and, and then others were physical, such as carrying groceries up a flight of stairs. And there was no difference in how people perceived non-physical tasks, tasks, but amazingly, participants with a guilty conscience viewed physical tasks as requiring significantly more effort than those with a clear conscience. Researchers concluded that the experience of guilt is not just emotional, but grounded in actual bodily sensation. In other words, guilt quite literally weighs us down. And perhaps you find yourself under the weight of guilt today, whether that's emotionally or spiritually or even physically, and the consequence of that. And you find yourself caught up in this perpetuating cycle and this entanglement of sin and guilt. And today what I want to talk to you about, and I want to talk to you specifically about the kind of guilt that really is a direct result of a decision or choice that we have made. And so what I'm not talking about today, at least in, in terms of what we're re remedying or, or, or surviving, is self-condemnation that is not actually rooted in something such as a sin, or uh, shame that maybe somebody else has put on you or ascribed to you, because the reality is there's that kind of guilt uh, a lot of times too, and so having to kind of decipher between those things. Uh, for example, uh, victims of abuse a lot of times attribute guilt to themselves, which is not really their own. And so what I'm talking about today is those things that we have done, those decisions that we have made that have resulted in us falling. 
and maybe falling repeatedly? And how do we walk out of that cycle and into a different cycle? And I'm going to talk about two different cycles that we fall into when we fall. The first is the cycle of guilt. And this is the one that we naturally are going to flow into time and time again. It's the one that the enemy will naturally lead us right through. And that's the cycle of guilt. And the second one is a conscious choice. And that is the cycle of grace. When we fall, we also have the option to to make a conscious choice and enter the cycle of grace. So I'm going to talk briefly about the cycle of guilt, and then I want to talk uh, for the majority of the time today about the cycle of grace and how we can live a life that is ever transformed by that beautiful cycle of grace and the gospel. Uh, Let me just invite God to speak here for just a moment. God, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity today to just gather in your midst among your people and get to worship your name and get to really just ponder and be perplexed even by the reality of the gospel and your infinite love. And so I just pray, God, that your love would wash over us today, that you would challenge us and convict us in all the right kinds of way and ways. And I just pray uh, that, that whatever you want to speak to the hearts of people today, you would. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to talk today first about the, the cycle of guilt, and it's really, I want to walk through this uh, pretty quickly, and it's, it comes right out of a story that many of us are very, very familiar with, and it's in Genesis 3. And talking about falls, this was not just a fall, this was the fall. This is what we refer to it as in the scripture is the fall, and so in Genesis 3. Now, just to give you kind of a quick back. Uh, drop here of what's happening. Many of you know the story, but Adam and Eve are given this lush garden to really experience God's uh, presence in a way that is unhindered by anything else. God gives them one command and says, don't eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat from it, surely you will die. And so they are left with a decision to either obey or disobey, and the choice that they make um, when, when influenced by the enemy is to disobey. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, both were guilty of disobeying God's command to not eat from that tree. And because they disobeyed, they see the result of that, which was they immediately realized something that they never realized before. There was a realization of the fact that they were naked. And so they felt this sensation that they had never felt before, and that was a sensation of guilt and shame, and it was absolutely overwhelming. How do I know it was overwhelming? Because first, step in the cycle is guilt and shame, which immediately led them to the next step in the cycle. And this is a cycle, by the way, a pattern that we all repeat. Um, and that is running and hiding. It says that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. And so under the weight of their guilt and shame, their natural propensity at this point in time, now with the realization of what they have done, is to run from the very presence of life, and that's God himself. And so they run from God, and they try to attempt to hide from God, as if they can do that. God sees them, and he's kind of like, hey, who who told you you were naked? Like, did you eat from the tree? Which he already knew the answer to that question, right? And sure enough, they did. And so guilt and shame gives way to running and hiding, which gives way to uh, number three, shaming and blaming. Here's Adam's response. Did you eat from the tree? And Adam's kind of like, well, that woman that you put me with, she gave me some of the fruit, and I ate it. So he's like sort of 
you know, trying to sidestep responsibilities if God's not smarter than that. Like, Adam, you were there the whole time. And why were you not defending your wife? Why were you not standing with your wife? Instead, you're going to stand here and not only defend her, but you're going to throw her underneath the bus. And so we all have this tendency because we feel like it reduces our guilt by saying, yeah, I might have done this, but... And it's amazing, like, because, you know, we have all young kids. If you, if you live in a house of all young kids, it's amazing how things happen, but nobody's ever at fault. It's like, how did that stuff get all over the floor? It's like, somebody else always did it. Like, it's never the person, you know, it's, it's interesting how that plays out. But what's all, even more interesting is we all are naturally drawn to that same thing. Because we feel like it alleviates our own guilt to say, yeah, but actually it was so-and-so's fault, and here's why. Let me tell you why it wasn't my fault. So there's shaming and blaming. We blame others and we blame God. Number four, sin and rebellion. So all of this guilt and shame, running and hiding, shaming and blaming, brings us right back to the same sin and rebellion that repeats itself over and over again. And we see this as, as what plays out in this opening narrative in Genesis. It says, the Lord God said, the man has now become like us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Now, interesting, even this is a measure of God's grace, because if they were to reach out their hand now in this distorted, demented state and, and live forever, they would be constantly stuck in this cycle, but God, by his grace, even in this moment, is already writing out a new cycle and a new script and a new story. He's caring for them. If you read the narrative, he's caring for them. Even though they've rebelled against him, they've rejected him, God is already responding in grace to them. Yet, they continue to choose sin over and over again. And what we see play out is that this sin then continues to be cyclical all the way down uh, through the generations and really through the Old Testament and into the and on and on throughout humanity, right? And we, all you got to do is read down a few verses in Genesis, and you see that here uh, Adam's son Cain is killing his brother Abel, and so all of this corruption and brokenness uh, and the curse of sin plays out, and it continues to play out over and over again in this unending cycle from generation to generation. And this is how it goes with sin and guilt. As much as we think we can will our way out of it, it's as Futile is me trying to ride a stand-up paddleboard. I can tell you that right now. This is how sin and guilt goes. But, I mean, think about the reality of what we just sung a little bit ago. Because of Jesus, we can enter a new cycle. Like we just sung, I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. From the first Adam comes this perpetual, perpetual cycle of guilt, but from the new Adam, Christ, comes a new cycle of grace. And that's where I want to spend our time today. If you are living in that cycle of guilt, how do we make the choice to exit that cycle and enter this beautiful cycle produced by the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the cross? And that's the cycle of grace. So number one, really the first step in this cycle is coming to the place of realization realization. There is this discovery of grace, and honestly, when we really look at the story, when we really dig deep into the narrative of Scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation, what we see is this incredible story of God's grace and favor on people that don't deserve it. And it's almost like you read this story and you're like, 
that just sounds too good to be true. Like, that can't be true. And so we come to this place where we're just totally caught up in and mystified by and perplexed by all at the same time this realization of what it actually means to live amidst God's grace. And I think one of the reasons that we get stuck in the cycle of guilt is, is just simply because we have not fully grasped or embraced this thing called grace. And in order to embrace this thing called grace, there's a realization of two things. Number one, our insufficiency. At some point, we have to realize that, man, I cannot do this on my own. And sometimes there's a moment in our life that brings that about. Sometimes it's just, you know, as we're studying the Scripture or whatever it might be. But we have to, at some point, realize that no matter how hard we try, we can't will transformation in our own life. We might make certain changes, but to talk about real, true, and eternal transformation, it's not possible. We are insufficient. We have a need for a Savior. The second thing that we have to come to realize is that God is all-sufficient. His grace is enough. Despite our insufficiency, God's sufficiency covers over all of our guilt. So we must realize, yes, how great our guilt is. I think it's important. Guilt does play a certain function. We have to realize how great our guilt is, but we must realize God's grace is greater still. It's bigger still. Listen to what Romans 5, 15-17 says. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. I mean, that is true of you. If you would lean into it, if you would believe it, Jesus is the true and better Adam. This is really an unprecedented realization that though sin came through this one man, Adam, salvation came all the more through Christ. Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world or expand our guilt, but to save the world, to extend his grace. And that really comes directly out of John 3. Mozart has this famous line in one of his famous works that, that just goes like this, Remember, merciful Jesu, that I am the cause of your journey. Just let that sink in for just a minute. What does that mean to you to really think about the fact that we are the cause of of God's journey to earth, his journey to the cross, his journey through death and out of the tomb, that we are the cause for that. I mean, imagine that God's affection for us, though unworthy, would be so strong that he would give his one and only son for you and for me. Jesus came for you, and he came for me. You are the cause of his journey. And you know, I don't think that it's really Jesus that needs reminding of that. I think it's us. To come back to that realization of that, and as Paul prays for the Ephesians, I think this is a good prayer for each of us, to pray for one another and pray for ourselves. And, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So it begins with a realization, and the realization then gives way to confession. 
The next step is to, to step forward and come out of hiding, to stop running from God, to stop hiding from God. When we realize that God has not come to condemn us, but to free us from the bondage of our guilt and sin, we can take that faithful step forward and, and come clean and confess. Because we know the weight otherwise. Psalm 32, 2 recounts just the heaviness of, of guilt that David dealt with prior to confessing uh, his indiscretions and his sins. And he comes to this conclusion. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are not covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silence, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I mean, have you ever been there? Have you ever been to that place where you just feel like you just can't escape it? You feel like your bones are rotting within you, that you're groaning all day long, maybe just internally, but feeling the weight of that. Well, David says, here was the way forward for me was acknowledging my sin rather than covering up my iniquity and confessing those transgressions to the Lord and experiencing not no longer the weight of guilt but the greater weight of God's glory and forgiveness. Max Lucado tells the story of a little boy who was shooting rocks with a slingshot. He could never hit his target. He had bad aim. So he saw this duck coming along from his grandmother's pond. He decided, ah, what the heck, I'll, I'll, I'll take a shot. He finally did connect with the duck and killed the duck, and he panicked, and he hid the duck in the woodpile. And as he turned around, he looked up to see his sister Sally watched the entire thing. And after lunch that day, his grandmother asked Sally to help with the dishes, and Sally decided she would volunteer her brother. He told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today, didn't you, Johnny? And then she whispered to him, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. He had no choice. He was trapped, and over the next several weeks, Johnny developed dishpan hands, sometimes for his duty, sometimes for his sin. If Johnny would ever object, his sister would just whisper in his ear, remember the duck. So weary of the chore that he decided that any punishment would be better than washing any more dishes. So he confessed the whole thing to his grandmother. Surprisingly, she didn't ground him. She didn't punish him. She just wrapped her arms around him and said, I know. I saw the whole thing from the window. And because I love you, I forgave you. But I wondered how long you would let your sister make a slave out of you. And I wonder how many of us just let the enemy do the same thing. To make a slave out of us. To let our guilt just continue to trap us and to, fur, uh, to force us into further hiding and isolation from God. I mean, the enemy likes nothing more than just to keep us spiraling in this cycle of guilt, condemnation, and shame. He loves to speak accusation over you and condemnation over you. And all that happens when we conceal rather than confess is that our bones rot within us. Confession is what moves us into this new pattern of grace and renewal brings us out of hiding and into God's marvelous light. James 5.17 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I've had uh, a lot of conversations. I've been both on one end of the conversation, the other end of the conversations of confession. 
And it's truly a healing process. I've seen people that have just been carrying something for so long and just to sit down with them and let them just unload those things and really get those things, the weight of those things off them. And there's always a lighter person that walks out of those conversations, whether it's me or the person that I'm spending time with. And I'd encourage you. We need to be the kind of church that's willing to trust one another with those things, be trustworthy enough to handle those things, right? I'm not saying you should just trust anybody uh, but find somebody that you actually trust and go to them and say, listen, there's something I've been carrying. There's something I've been dealing with. There's a struggle that I continue to find myself entrapped by. And there's just beauty in confessing both to God and to our brothers and sisters as the ability to bring us out of hiding and into God's marvelous light. And friends, I just want to give you some words today. As the enemy speaks accusation over you, I think... This is your message to the accuser. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Are you trusting your life to Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? Well, then you can confidently declare to the enemy, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I don't live under condemnation anymore. Because of God's compassion, because of God's freedom. That's, that's my old address. I don't live there anymore. It's like one of those etch-a-sketches where the slate is just shaken clean. Freely, completely, repeatedly. That's the beauty of God's amazing grace. But God doesn't call us into this cycle of grace and call us out of sin only to let us fall back into it. So we shouldn't use grace as this license to sin. Jesus doesn't free us so we can just walk right back into bondage. So what's the expectation? We move from confession, and in order to move forward, we then move forward with renewed conviction for God. So yes, we confess. Yes, we come clean. This is where a lot of people exit the process and walk right back into the cycle of guilt. Like the trap is just set for us. We return to our sin like a dog returns to vomit walk right back into those old patterns, those old ways. And so it's important that we develop and continue to foster this growing conviction for God and his ways and the things that he desires for us and wants for us. Because this is the very stage where I think so many of us get stuck. Confession must give way to a new conviction for God and a new commitment to his plans and purposes for my life. If we don't lead a life of conviction, ultimately we're going to be led right back into condemnation. And as I was preparing this week, I was really struggling with just the tension of this understanding. And it's really, in in so many ways, it's such a perplexing idea. It's so magnificent, God's grace, and really to understand that. And while it's not something I can earn, and it's not something that I do earn, it's a free gift, it doesn't mean that it shouldn't require a response or some effort on my part to continue to live and to grow in it. And that's actually the line that as I was wrestling with this this week continued to pop into my head, and it's this word grow in grace. Grow in grace. And it turns out it's the conclusion to Peter's second letter. He says this, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking 
uh, in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. And then he says this, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you not be carried away by the air of lawlessness, or air of the lawless, and fall from the secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. And so Paul is really, or sorry, Peter here is really calling all of us to continue to grow in this grace. A couple of things to note here. One, I think that a lot of us falsely assume that grace is purely passive on the part of the recipient. It is a free gift that we receive, but then what we do in light of that gift is important. Grace is not something passive here, but instead it's something that he's saying. He's giving us a command to say, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Now, what's growing? It's not God's grace. God's grace is infinite. It's like a shoreless sea. But it's us growing into that grace over and over again by following in the pattern of Jesus by the power of the Spirit's work in our life. It's, it's an incredible thing when we can then move trading this life of condemnation for one of godly conviction. That we start to live with a renewed con- conviction. Because ultimately guilt paralyzes us, but grace propels us. So my challenge to all of us is to keep growing in grace. Never stop growing in grace. 2 Corinthians 7.10, Paul talks a little bit about the difference between guilt and conviction by describing two different kinds of sorrow. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance, that leads to salvation, conviction, leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, guilt, brings death. Guilt bears a death sentence. Conviction, godly sorrow, brings salvation and life. I think one of the great examples of this um, is a guy, a German pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And if you haven't read his story, I encourage you to spend some time reading the story. Eric Metaxas writes a great book. Uh, about his life and his convictions and the way that he lived with conviction in a time that many were not. And it was really a time when many supposed Christians were marked more by complacency and compromise. But Bonhoeffer, he called his brethren to a life of conviction. And it was a conviction that eventually cost him his life as he spoke out against the evils of the Nazi regime. And he called out what he identified as cheap grace. Here's what he has to say about it. This is a long section, but I think it's important for us to to wrestle with. He says, cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. All sin could not atone. Well, then let the Christian live like the rest of the world. Let him model himself on the world's standards in every sphere of life and not supposedly aspire to live a different life under grace from his old life under sin. So this is what they assume. Cheap grace, he says, is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without requiring church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus, Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace, on the other hand, he says, is a treasure hidden in a field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ. For those sake, a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his net and follows him. This is what it looks like to continue to grow in grace. 
We continue to count the cost. We continue to grow in grace. We continue to live lives marked not by complacency, but by conviction. And as we do, the ultimate result here is change. Transformation. The kind that only God can produce in us and through us. Where guilt buries us, grace changes us. The last word I have for you today is transformation. That we have the ability to be ultimately changed by grace. The, the week started out when we were on vacation, uh, not in the way that we expected. We actually ex- we, we were expecting to have just kind of a great time, laid back, relaxed. And we ended up in an emergency room, which, you know, three boys is bound to happen. And so uh, we were hanging out in this emergency room, poor Jude. I don't know what happened, but we were sitting I was sitting out kind of watching the kids play, and all of a sudden, Jude just comes running over to me. He's completely upset. I didn't see him fall or anything like that. I didn't know what happened, but he's just beside himself. And I can tell that there's something clearly wrong with him. Like, he cannot move this one arm very well, and he's, like, holding it. So I'm, like, freaking out. Jess happened to be away at this point, and I'm like, what do I do? Like, I'm just, like, holding him, and he's upset. He's beside himself. And so finally, we decided to go to the hospital, and now... Uh, where we were at in Michigan, it's not like you had your choice of hospital. Not like I had Cincinnati Children's just right down the way. I could just kind of drive down there. and I, Like, there is a hospital, and it's like 45 minutes away. And so now it's a commitment. We got to go drive out there to the hospital, you know, and it's, it's not a children's hospital. And it truly, the, from right when I walk in the door, I'm like, this is unorganized. This is going to be rough. Like, there's like people bleeding in the lobby. Like, just hold, I'm like, like who's caring for these people, you know? And like, but I have to do something. My baby is in this immense pain, whatever's going on. And so we waited in the waiting room. One lady was like, had something going on where she was like bleeding from her face and she's like waved us ahead of her in line. I'm like, she's like, let the little boy go. I'm like, you look like you need help. I don't, I don't you know, okay, we'll go. You know, so we go and we're, we're waiting back there. Then we're in the lobby, just felt like forever, you know? And um, this guy comes out and he's like, he's kind of our, nurse but he's, he's not a nurse he's just like I think a guy that was like on the ambulance er- earlier that they're like hey we need your help like <laughs> just stick here and like and so he's he's hanging out with us I mean everybody was really like gracious and but I didn't have a lot of confidence the entire time so we get into the room and I'm like I don't know like is it his wrist like Jess and I are trying to assess it we don't know like you know he's holding his arm like you know we've heard of this nursemaid's elbow thing it was just dis- is that what it is but he seemed to be we had no idea and so Finally, like after all this waiting, the doctor comes in, and we're like, okay, hopefully we can get some answers. And it's interesting because it's almost like he was waiting for me to advise him. He's like, well, what do you think? I'm like, that's why we came. Like, I, what do you mean, what do I think? It doesn't matter what I think. He's like, I'm like, what, what do you think? Like, you can see what's going on with him. Like, he's obviously in a lot of pain. So he's like, well, I, I don't really know. We'll do an x-ray. I'm like, he's like, do you think we should do an x-ray? He's like, asking me again. I'm like, I do not have any confidence in this. Like, yeah, go ahead, do the x-ray. I don't know what to do. And so um, anyway, we come, we come back into the room, and uh, the x-ray's clean. And so he's like, well, I think it might be this nursemaid's elbow. I've done a couple of these. Like, let me see if I can get it back. And he's like, you want me to do that? I'm like, if that's going to fix them, then yeah, let's do it. Like, there's no, like, I'm like, I had no confidence the entire time. And uh, so he tries. He's like, of course, he's like, it's going to be painful. And so he's like, I'm, we're holding Jude, and the whole while, like, Jude's looking at us, and he just, he just really sweetly between tears, he goes, you want to go to the car? You want to go to the car? And go to the car? 
He's like, he's like, we want to go to the car. Like, let's go to the car. Like, he's like, he doesn't have confidence in this guy either. And uh, I'm like, you know, and so I'm like, maybe we should go to the car, you know. And so the doc, he's like, grabs him, and he's like, you know, like, like doing some crazy, like, you know, kung fu move on him. And he's like, you know, he's like, mm, and he just kind of has this look on his face, like, like normally it kind of pops back in. He's like, I didn't really feel that. I'm like. What do we do now? He's like, what do you think we should do? I'm like, no, no, you're missing the point. Like, he's like, well, there is one more, like, method that I could do, but I don't really do it. And he's like, I'd have to brush up on it. I'm like, he's like, you want me to try that? I'm like, you got to go watch a YouTube video, like, on this? Like, what's going to happen? So he steps out of the room. He goes and brushes up on it, which I really think that he went and watched some YouTube videos on this other method. He comes back in the room. He's like, well, I think we could give this a go. Like, you want to do that? He's asking me. I'm like, yeah, just do it. Just fix him like he's in pain. And so he grabs his arm. He does this little, and it just like, it pops back in. He's like, and Jude literally in that moment goes, all better, and rips off his like hospital tag and just throws it on the ground. I'm like, that's all it took. That was great. Now, I share that story to say, I didn't have a lot of confidence in that physician, but I can tell you right now, I have a lot of confidence in our great physician. I have a lot of confidence in our God to do what only he can do. I've seen him fix broken relationships. I've seen him mend broken hearts. I've seen God do things that only God could do. And I have this feeling that some of you are in here today and you've tried it. You've maybe trusted a friend to help you kind of through something. Maybe they've given you some decent advice or maybe, some, maybe you've tried on your own effort to walk through some of these difficulties and some of this challenge, some of this guilt and some of the things that you continue to fall back into. But let me just tell you, I don't have a lot of confidence anymore in my own ability. I don't have a lot of confidence anymore as much as I love my friends unless they're speaking godly wisdom into me. But ultimately, I understand the fact that it is the great physician that really brings about change and transformation. And that is what I hope you've gained throughout this entire series is that any of these things that we want to survive and really thrive in the middle of, we have to invite God into. And so I just want to encourage you to invite the great physician into your life. I love what Lauren Daigle says uh, in her song. Maybe you've heard this song. Is He's still rolling stone. He's still rolling stone. Just like we sung about when we started. And I said, hey, it feels like Easter Sunday. Every day can be like Easter Sunday because he's still rolling stones. And he can roll a stone in your life today as well. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, Jesus says, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus is our great physician. The church can be a place of healing and wholeness as it should be. And I just want to encourage you to continue to step forward into that transformation that only comes by the power of Jesus. In just a couple uh, weeks here on August 14th, we're going to have an opportunity for baptism. And maybe that's the day where you finally like, you know what? It's time for a new commitment. It's time to enter a new cycle. I've tried it on my own power, but now it's time to trust God to do what only God can do in my life. We've already had several people that are going to be there that day doing it. I want to encourage you to meet us down at the Little Miami River on August 15th for that. If you have any questions about that, you can email me, josh at accesschurch.com. We're going to close out here for just a couple minutes. I'm going to invite the band back up. We'll sing one more song. I just want to give you some time here because we saved communion for the end. We thought that was a really fitting way to close out this Survivor Series because it is really by the power of the cross that all these things are possible, that it is by the power of the cross that we can not just survive our life, but truly thrive in our lives. And so I want to encourage you just to lean in for a little bit. And I'm going to give you kind of four things that maybe you could potentially do in this time. Maybe for some of you, you just take time right now just to 
realize the power of God's grace. Just to ponder on that idea and reflect upon that. Maybe for some of you, this is an opportunity to confess uh, to God. Maybe you grab a brother or sister in the room and you say, hey, I need you to pray for me. The opportunity to get to do that uh, with a few people today. And um, maybe that's you today. You're like, I'm not going to walk out of here under the weight of this anymore. I need to talk to somebody and I'll be available for that or just find somebody that you trust in here in this room to walk you through that. Uh, the third thing I'd say is maybe it's just a time to invite God to stir up a new conviction in you. If you continue to walk back to your old sin over and over again, and maybe this is an invitation to God to say, hey, stir up a new conviction. And then for some of us, maybe it's just a time to pray for God's healing power and transformation in our life, to invite the great physician to do what only he can do. Let's go to God in prayer, and then we'll spend some quiet moments. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your amazing grace. There's nothing like it. I just pray for those that are just harboring guilt today and they're still in that destructive cycle, God, that they could just reach out a hand and invite you and invite your power and invite your presence. Stop running and hiding, to stop shaming others, to stop continuing to just fall back into those same old patterns, but just to, to walk anew by your power and by your presence. We just invite you now in quiet moments.